Welcome to the podcast, everyone. The Super Duper Jiu Jitsu Happy High Five Club Podcast. That's the new name. Let's get it. <laughs> <laughs> What's going on, Kieran? Oh, man, just living my greatest life, not being able to train jujitsu has been tough yep, in the lockdown. lockdown in Sydney. Still cool. locked down. This is going to be a recurring theme. I've just um, realized that I don't think we've introduced ourselves like you know this is ep- for a while this is episode six yeah. of a very new podcast series i think we introduced mm. ourselves on episode one and have not done since um, hey everyone i'm kieran <laughs> i'm a i'm a white belt under adam child's alliance sydney jiu-jitsu who is sitting across the table from me adam don't sell yourself short bro you do other stuff kieran you're out uh you know you used to be in the Navy, you're a mm. nutritionist, you're an ex-bodybuilder, personal trainer, you do lots of stuff, bro. Oh, you please. have a YouTube channel, uh, you run a media company with a, a business partner of Just yours. Just a superstar. Dude, so much <laughs> stuff. Um, but me, Adam Childs, owner with my wife um, of Alliance Sydney Jiu-Jitsu, black belt under Alliance head coach Fabio Gurgel. And um, we're here to shoot the shit. Shoot the shit, all things jujitsu and more. Beyond yeah. jujitsu. Beyond jujitsu. Yeah. BJJ. Yeah. BJJ.com. Um, hey, Kieran, what did, uh, what did we talk about uh, last episode? So last episode we were talking about the Olympics. Oh, the Olympics. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah, yeah. Olympics, yeah. Uh, yeah. You got uh, something to re- say? Yeah, remember we were talking about uh, S- Simone Biles. You know who Simone Biles is? No. So I have no idea who Simone Biles is. And I was shocked. Shocked. Now, I, I have a bit of a wager with Adam. I, I'd wager, he, he started reading off a list of names to me that he I, came up I with. I was so shocked yesterday that Kieran didn't know who Simone Biles is. And of course I'll tell you who she is because there's no doubt people like Kieran who don't know who she is. Exactly. But, but then I was shocked at, at the fact Kieran didn't know who she is. So I, I listed a few of the greatest athletes of all time across various sports. And there were a couple that Kieran had never heard of. I mean... That we're not. I mean, how much older am I than you? Only like ten years older than yeah, you. Yeah, about it's ten not years. Like and you change. know, <laughs> <laughs> you know, it's not like you know, you talking to your granddad. Like I mean, oh, it's pretty close. Pretty close. Yeah. yeah when you're mentioning <laughs> when you're mentioning some of these random yeah. random athletes. So you say. So the wager is. The wager is. I was I was just putting it to Adam that if he was to read or list out some of these names on air. There'd be so many people that listen that would have no idea what he's talking about or who he's talking about yeah. more accurately. I mean, I, I I do slightly forgive not knowing who Simone Biles is because it's a, she is um she's essentially the the greatest female gymnast or greatest not even female gymnast like the greatest gymnast of all time. I say female because the in competitive gymnastics the the women and men do different apparatuses, right or apparati. Um, uh, But yeah, I mean, gymnastics is a, in terms of, it's not international recognition, but I mean, it's not like a spectator sport like Mm. basketball is or something. So I get not knowing who she is, but she is, I was so shocked because she's so far above and beyond the competition. Like, man, like she's just, Sounds like you got a bit of a crush. <laughs> Man, like uh, in my opinion, gymnastics, I don't train gymnastics. And I mean, I did when I was a, a very young kid because my dad, my dad actually used to be a competitive um, diver, like mm. a, a Olympic diving. Oh, wow. And 
because of obviously all the flips and stuff divers do, like they do gymnastics or predominantly a lot of trampoline training, mm. right, to, to practice the hang time they get and flipping and whatever. So I did it when I was a kid. Anyway, um, I think gymnasts in terms of the display of physical capabilities, man, like if you compare it to any other sport and look at – and you said, okay, which athlete has the most uh, strength, coordination, flexibility, conditioning? Like, I mean, man, they just do the most amazing stuff. And the sport is absurdly dangerous. Like it's super dangerous that mm. people don't realize, right? Like you, you, you just – You head. Dude, yeah. Like I can – I mean you just – go the other way and look at the amount of videos on TikTok or something where someone tries a backflip and lands on their face. You know, <laughs> and these people are doing like quadru- multiple backflips. Anyway, I find it super impressive. And Simone Biles is like, you just, you just can't really compare her to another gymnast. She, she does all these moves that no other athlete can do or has ever been able to do. She's just crazy good. Mm. And she came up because she just withdrew from the Tokyo Olympics. Um, Jude, I didn't see the – like I read the article. I didn't see the interview, mm. but I believe it was like um, – I think it was mental health. Like she just – I don't know. It just wasn't feeling right for her or something and yeah, she didn't okay. want to hurt herself and, yeah, right. you know, so she stepped aside and let her teammate take her place. Okay. Um, but, yeah, and then – so if you don't know who Simone Biles is, that's who she is. Look her up. She's yeah. amazing. And if Simone Biles is out there listening to this podcast, <laughs> hit us up on Instagram because we'd love to have you on. Adam, Adam's a big fan, clearly. Oh, God. I up. would actually be quite funny to see a photo of me and her next to each other, I reckon, because oh, I'm like 6'4", and she's tiny. Like, I mean, I don't know her actual height, but very small. Right. Um, but, yeah, and then I started mentioning some other athletes. That The other one that shocked me that you didn't know who it was was Michael Schumacher. No, I still don't remember. I, I oh can't even remember God, the sport. Dude, you had to list like 20 sports before like you're like, hockey. before you're like, Formula One, that's oh, it. Yeah, yeah, I knew right, it. Right, that's it. Michael yeah. Schumacher's the one. He was like the um, he was like the Ferrari driver. And yeah, more recently he had the skiing accident. I don't know if you – I don't watch skiing either. <laughs> <man>. like, <laughs> oh, Sean White didn't. Don't know who Sean White is. No, I still don't remember. You know, greatest like snowboarder. Oh, snowboarder, right? Yeah. Even as you're like, Tiger we went Woods over this didn't yesterday. know who Tiger Woods was. Oh, come on, <laughs> come off it! Everyone knows who Tiger Woods. Rafael Nadal, no idea. Oh, you actually Soccer? don't. Know? Oh my god! No tennis. Yes. Yeah, oh, I got it. <laughs> Man, okay. But the other maybe, one, uh, maybe the Wayne Gretzky. You had yeah, heard yeah. of? Yeah, I, I heard of his name, but I thought he was NFL. It turns out he was NHL. Hockey. I'll yeah. tell you a fact about Wayne Gretzky to, to give you an idea of just how good he, he was. Um, Wayne, Wayne Gretzky is famous for the quote, um, you miss 100% of the shots you don't take. Okay. Have you heard that quote? Yeah, yeah, yeah. of course. Yeah. Actually, I mean, I could be wrong. Maybe someone's listening and being like, mm, he didn't no. say that. <laughs> I'm pretty sure he did though. Um, he might have said it once or twice. Yeah. To give you an idea of how good he is um, – the NHL has like a scoring system for ranking the athletes like most sports do. So, mm. you know, uh, coaches can compare athletes when they're making trades and things like that. I'm not exactly sure how it works, but it's something just for simplicity's sake. It's something like this. Um, let's say you score score a goal in, in ice hockey. Your athlete profile would get two points on it, right? Right. As a, as a ranking method, you know? So if over your career you've scored 10 goals, you would have 20 points on, on your athlete profile. 
Um, but if you if you assist a goal, so if I pass the puck to you and then you score, I would get one point on my athlete profile and you would get two, okay. right? Because you scored the goal, but I assisted by passing you the puck, right? Makes sense. So, uh, yeah, I'm not sure the numbers of how they – but something like that. So you, you accumulate, um, you know, career stats by assisting in goals and scoring goals. Even to today, Wayne Gretzky was so successful that if you deleted – all of the goals that he scored in his career, all of his goals, and just calculated his points through assisting in goals, he still has a higher um, career points score than any other ice hockey player in history. That's impressive. So, like, man, you can you could essentially take his stats and go, Wayne Gretzky never scored a single goal. Oh, he still has higher career stats than any other player. Wow. Like the dude was, you know, so he's like Michael Schumacher, Tiger Woods, Kelly Slater. Wow. Like, you That's know. impressive. But can he do an armbar? <laughs> no, but he can probably like pull your shirt over your head, take his gloves off, oh, the, the, hit you with a hockey stick. You yeah, know? The, the jersey fights in, <laughs> yeah. in hockey. Nasty. Well, in, in today's episode, regardless of uh, w- w- what we're going over is obviously roasting me about sport, but we're also going to talk yep. about Adam, your time in Brazil. So you lived in Brazil for five years. If if you this is your first episode listening to the podcast, Adam trained in Brazil, lived in Brazil for five years at the one of the Alliance headquarters where he received eventually received his black belt, mm-hmm. but not there in Vegas, which we're going to go over. Yep. We're going to find out why. Um, and yeah, so we I wanted to basically break down why you went there, your experience in Brazil. Because if, if you train Brazilian jiu-jitsu, obviously you would have a connotation around training in Brazil. Mm. Me as a newcomer into the sport, you know, I've been training for less than 12 months, um, still a white belt, but training in Brazil is still seen from my perspective and, and I'm sure of people with similar, you know, experiences me, perspective is that, Brazil is the place to be to train. Like the motherland. The motherland, yeah. exactly. Like yeah. going back to the motherland. So I want to want to find out, maybe uncover uncover a bit of truth to f- find out if that's still relevant today. And we're going to get into the nuts and bolts of that today. So Yeah, so uh, I mean a, a bit of a brief, obviously we'll go into random stuff. But, um, you know, when I first started training, I'd done other martial arts. The The martial art I was doing before jiu-jitsu was, was Muay Thai which I enjoyed, you know, I enjoy striking, but I'm How not. How long did you do that for? Uh, a couple of years. Like, and I'd yeah, done right. other stuff before that, like predominantly striking. Okay. Um, but so when you picked up jujitsu, was the intention to swap from striking to grappling or were you trying to build out no, no, to like MMA? I, no, I never wanted to build out to MMA because um, despite the way I sound when I speak, I don't like getting hit in the head. Yeah, right. I have not been yeah. hit in the head that many times. That is a it, bit surprising. Because yeah. <laughs> it really hurts. When someone kicks you in the head, mm. it hurts a lot. Um, I take my hat off to anyone who competes in any form of striking. It's um, you got to be super tough. And it's not for me. Um, but I had a friend um, and now one of my students, Chris, Chris Wild, who um, introduced me to jiu-jitsu. He trained a little bit at the time and, you know, I watched a bit of UFC but I never had the time to to train in Australia. I was getting ready to move overseas because 
my my girlfriend at the time, who's now my wife, her visa was expiring. She uh, she's Brazilian, so we moved over to Canada to do the classic Australian, um, you know, tu- tourist living in Canada, go to the snow, whatever. And then when nice. I got there, I decided to find a gym. And that's where I started training. We lived in Canada for 18 months or two years or something like that and got my blue belt in Canada pretty much as I was leaving. Like, I mean, I'd already said, I'd already announced like, oh yeah, I'm, I'm, I'm leaving, I'm moving to Brazil because I had already fallen in love with jiu-jitsu so much that uh, my wife and I were going down to Brazil for our wedding. And originally we were just going to go to Brazil for the wedding and come back to Canada. But, you know, I had decided that jujitsu was what I wanted to do with my life. I didn't go to uni. How old were you at this point? Just for, for context. Uh, so you moved to Canada. It's like 24, I think. Right, 24. Like okay. that. Um, yeah. So I didn't going back further. I didn't, I didn't finish year 12. Right. I left school. I think it was after the first semester of year 11 and I did some traveling around Australia and stuff. Um, so I didn't have like a degree or anything to go back on. I had looked at going to uni, but nothing interested me. Uh, and so I was like, man, like jujitsu is going to be what I do with my life. Like I, I want to move to Brazil and wow. tra- train at the best gym and that'll be like my university. And I've always enjoyed teaching in general, just whatever it is. Right. Like, um, so I knew I wanted to teach at the time. I did have like the aspirations of being a world champion and all this stuff and, you know, didn't work out. Hence why, you know, I'm not big and famous, but. <laughs> but <laughs> well, you, you are know, big. But <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, and so I said to Hanada, man, let's move. And so I had already told the gym in Canada I was moving to Brazil. Right. And so I guess the, the parting gift was the blue belt or. I was going to ask, how long did it take you to get a blue belt? Uh, it was like a year, okay. but I trained like, yeah, twice a day, every day. Um, yeah. Trained like full, you know, full time for lack yeah. of a better word. And then um, moved to Brazil, was there for, for five years training and competing. The quick, the quick summary was um, yeah. Just, just training full time, competing full time uh, under, under Fabio at, Alli- at the Alliance headquarters. I'd done some research to find what was the best gym and I was thinking about it. So you weren't with an Alliance affiliate before then? No, the first guy I trained under was a guy called Shane Rice, who is a black belt under Hickson Gracie was one of, I think there were only two non-Brazilians to get a black belt from Hickson and Shane was one of them. And um, so he, he was quite, you know, is really tough in his day. He made it onto the podium at Worlds and stuff, lost to, to Cabrinha a couple of times. So I think he had like some bronze or silver medals from from wow. Gee Worlds or no Gee Worlds. Um, you know, so in, in his day, like a good, very competent jiu-jitsu practitioner. Um, yeah, so then I did some research into the, the best gyms. At that time, the only name I knew was Gracie, but I had a training partner in Canada that was like, man, there's a lot of, like, it's not all just Gracie. And because I was thinking about it like a university, I did some research and I was like, okay, what, what gym is essentially the Harvard or the Oxford of, of jiu-jitsu gyms. And I found Alliance, you know, like Fabio himself is a four-time world champion and created more world champions than any other instructor, taken 
the team alliance to more, more world titles than any other team. So I was like, okay, we're going there. Moved to Brazil, lived there, trained full-time for five years. Um, and then after that, moved back to Australia and was starting to work towards opening Alliance Sydney here. At that time, I was a brown belt, but I still had really close contact with with Fabio because I worked while, – while I was in Brazil, I also started working as the international manager for the Alliance Jiu-Jitsu Association um, <laughs> globally, obviously, internationally, because uh, they've got affiliates all around the place. So I was still doing that job here in Australia. So I would speak to Fabio all the time and then, you know, I – would fly over to Jacare's gym, one of the other Alliance headquarters in Atlanta in the US. I would fly over there, you know, to meet with Fabio and, you know, for conferences and things like that. And then I would fly to Vegas, not to party, but for the for those who don't know, the Master World Championships, the Masters of the, the World Championships for competitors 30 years and older. So uh, it's held every year um, in Vegas. So I would fly to Vegas to meet with Fabio and everything. So I still had heaps of close contact with Fabio. Um, but yeah, that's essentially the, the reason I moved to Brazil was to, to pursue jiu-jitsu as, as a career. So what was the plan? So by the time that you moved to Brazil, you're what, about 25, 26? Mm. Something like that. Yeah, I think yeah. Yeah, 25, 26, around there. Right. So you move, you move to Canada at 24, you, you train for about 12 months, you get bitten by the bug, decide that that's the career path you want to you wanna go down. You're a blue belt and then you move to Brazil. Now, I do want to talk about, you know, that transition, but just to, to finish off the, the context of the story till now, you're, you're about, what, 26 when you move to, mm. to Brazil and then you move back to Australia as a brown belt yep. after five years yep. and then you open your gym within about two years of living back in Australia. Yeah, how long was it? Was it? Might have been, yeah, yeah, it was two years. Because when, like, I lived, uh, my wife and I, my wife's Brazilian, but the city we lived in, Sao Paulo, is she doesn't have family there or anything. So uh, we were doing everything, the hard sort of student lifestyle. Sao Paulo is an incredibly expensive city to live in. So it cost everything to get back to Australia. And, And when I mean everything, like... After five years in Brazil, I think I had saved like a hundred bucks or something Shit. like like I mean I, I I didn't make any money yeah. you know um, I taught like I would teach English as a means to to make money. The first year I was there, I just trained and then I ran out of money right and I obviously had to pay my membership fees and rent and food and you know You're living expenses yeah. um, so I mean it's worth pointing out none of it would have been possible without my wife helping. Like she worked full time and essentially was, was the backbone of the whole, <laughs> the whole journey. But yeah, I taught English as a means to an end. And then as I, you know, was a bit higher up, I would help, I would teach jujitsu like and teach privates and things mm-hmm. like that. But yeah, when we moved back, just the flights, my wife's visa, we brought our dog with us back from Brazil, which, for those who have never brought a dog into Australia, I have a little dog, a Yorkshire Terrier, so she weighs less than five kilos, right? Um, and I'm pointing that out because bigger dogs are heavier, so they cost more. But even that, like it was, I don't know, like maybe a, 
an eight thousand dollar ordeal. Wow, that's an to, expensive dog. Yeah, <laughs> like it's uh, and not only that, it's a very complicated yeah, process yeah. dealing with the Department of Agriculture and all that. So when we moved back here, we had nothing. So I think I I worked at a cinema and cleaned swimming pools mm. and just would, hustled. Yeah, and would teach and taught um, jujitsu classes here and there mm. as well to save money. Mm. To, to open the gym. Wow. That's 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 hustling 101 right there. That's the hustle, bro. Yeah, man. So I just want to rewind now. Okay. So you're you're in you're in Canada, you receive your blue belt, and then you decide that you want to essentially in, in your in your view train at the Harvard of Jiu Jitsu at the time, which yeah. is Alliance headquarters in Sao Paulo. Yeah. What was the process in actually getting that organized? So you want to train at the gym. Is it just like you, you called them up, you sent them an email, you just rocked up one day to, to join? Yeah, I essentially just um, rocked up one day. Like, uh, Yeah, wow. So you moved to the city and then to train at this gym and then just one day walked into the gym. Yeah, I mean with, with, with some help because I didn't speak Portuguese mm. at, at, at that time. So I think it's not, I, I walked in – I think with my wife to check it out and kind of ask if I could train there. I didn't really understand that it, it's just a business and as long as you're willing to pay, anyone can train there, right? I right. didn't really understand that, but I asked if I could train there and stuff. And I think I met Fabio at the time and he was, you know, super lovely. Yeah, of course, blah, 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 blah. But then I didn't start training right away because we had moved to Sao Paulo, but we hadn't yet found an apartment, you know. Um, my Where wife, were you staying in that in between uh, time? At, my wife had a friend in the city, but right. it was very temporary because it was super small. Yeah. Um, and my wife didn't have a job, so we kind of needed to get our, you know, ducks in a row a little bit before I could start training. But then mm. essentially once all that was sorted, mm. I, I just rocked up and um, I just started training. Like yeah, wow. I, I think I straight away the first class of the week, the Monday morning 7 a.m. class was the first class I did. And I wanted to be doing the competitors class, which was at the time was at 12 o'clock. Okay. As the lunchtime class was only available for blue belts and up. And I was told that um, they kind of wanted to suss me out first. Yeah, okay. So they wanted to verify your belt essentially. And like they let me do it straight away. Well, I think I did like one or two classes and they're like, man, you can train at the lunch class. Sweet. Um, And it was funny because it was quite, quite a shock if you will, because when I, when yeah, what's I did the difference between, because when I did was doing the 7am class, uh, it's a different group of people who usually train at 7am, right? It's people who train because <clears throat> then they go off to work. So you're, you know, it's doctors, lawyers or whatever. And, you know, so you're not necessarily coming across like the active competitors. So from day one, the 7 a.m. class, like even though I was a fresh blue belt, like I was hanging with all the other blue belts and even some of the purple belts and everything. Not saying I'm a prodigy, just saying that yeah, that's it how it was in the 7 a.m. Yeah. class. And then when I started training in the, the lunch class, the competition class, man. Received a smackdown. So yeah, like it was, it was just a whole different thing. It was like I just got demolished by everyone. You know, I didn't speak Portuguese. People were not gringo friendly gringo being a, a slang for foreigners um because back then it was a it was seen as like i think i said this in a previous episode it was like you know uh seen as 
us stealing their jujitsu secrets, mm. right? So they weren't super friendly. There was only me and one other guy, Ali, who now owns a gym in Bahrain. He's from Bahrain. We were the only two foreigners living there, training full time. Um, so the lunch class like was was brutal at how, first. How did you go doing a doing classes in a in a language that you didn't speak effectively? Like at this point, what? How was your Portuguese? Oh, like yeah, pretty non-existent. Um, yeah, I really couldn't, you know, it's funny because when you learn a second language, you learn a lot of like key phrases. Yeah. Like you'll learn how to say like, hi, how are you? You know, yeah. my name's Adam. You coffee, know, please. And yeah, yeah, can yeah. I get a coffee? And so, you know, you say that phrase and then people instantly think, oh, they speak Portuguese. And then they yeah. just start talking to you normally and yeah. you're like, well, then, no, 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 like, no, you know, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm ready to receive your response. It must be either yes or no. Like, yeah. you know, that's kind of... Yep. Um, so in the beginning it was quite hard. I mean, especially in the competition class because it's a, it's a competition class. It's not a, it's not a, I'm going to translate everything into English for you class. Like the instructor doesn't, he's there to prepare the competition team. He's not there to like teach the technique. Yeah, exactly. Right. So just a lot of it was, was, um, learnt just from watching. And I've, I've found that a lot anyway, you know, when even, learning in English, I just want to watch the technique. And of course I listen as well, but hypothetically you could, I could mute a YouTube video and just watch it and be like, Oh yeah, cool. And like, I, I learn a bit more by, by going off and physically trying it, right. you know? Um, and then my questions will come up. Uh, but I was also, I did, was it a three month or a six month like Portuguese course? Uh, did you do that in Brazil? In, in Brazil. Okay. Um, and then yeah, maybe it was six months. I can't remember. So that kind of helped me get to a, a, a high enough level that in, in the gym I was fine. I mean, my Portuguese is still, it's not that great. Right. Uh, you know, I've got very conversational Portuguese. If you put on a movie in Portuguese, I'll follow along, but heaps of vocabulary I'm going to miss because, you know, it's entertainment, right? The the script writers don't just use the same conversational words. Like reading a newspaper in Portuguese, I can't really follow because it's written differently and the vocabulary is much broader than conversational Portuguese. But I got to a point where I was like, oh, it's enough. And then I was kind of put in a situation where I I started to run out of money and I needed to work. And there there were three things I needed to do. I needed to like learn Portuguese, earn money and train. It was like, but I didn't have time for all three. So one had to go. It was like, well, you know, I came here to train, so that can't go. Right. And if I don't have money, I can't, I can't, I can't pay to train. Yeah. So that can't go. So I had to ditch like further studies of right. Portuguese. Right. That makes sense. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. So did anyone in your gym speak English? Was anyone able to translate? Like, does Fabio I mean, yeah. speak a little bit of English? Fabio speaks really good English. Okay. Um, Heaps of people do because Fabio's gym is quite a, a premium gym. Um, it's in uh, a nicer area of Sao Paulo, like right. a, a, a more. So it's. <laughs> I mean, I'm to hesitant say... to say nicer area because it's still not that nice, but it was in like a, a better part of Sao Paulo. So, okay. uh, and Fabio being Fabio and Alliance being, you know, and it being his headquarters, it's a premium gym. So it comes at a premium rate. So, 
compared to other gyms, the membership fees were, were quite high. I'm not saying they weren't justified. Definitely yes. worth what you paid. But compared to a Joe Blow's Jiu-Jitsu, obviously Fabio's gym was much more expensive. So the majority of the students who trained there were, were quite wealthy. Like they were all – yeah, they were pretty wealthy – and the wealthy, educated people in Brazil typically speak English. Okay. There was the, the, for the five years that I was there, the man, there weren't many people who, there weren't many students who, who did it tough in terms of like being super poor. Like the competition team, you, there was only a handful of us that really struggled because we had to pay our own w- way. Most of the competition team uh, were able to train full-time because they were like bankrolled by their, their parents or something okay. like that. Right. There was just – there was like a small group of us um, that that had to do everything on our own and it was re- and it was really hard. Now it's, it's different. Like they have like – like Fabio has a lot of sponsorship programs where he helps um, – less fortunate athletes, you know, where he'll, he'll personally sponsor them so they can train for free and everything. But those programs didn't exist back then. It was a bit more like you kind of, yeah, you really needed some support. Yeah. Right. So how was, how was the whole teaching English piece come about? Did, how much Portuguese did you need to be able to do that? How much Portuguese yeah. do I need to be, to be able to teach, teach English? English? Yeah. No, nah, like Almost none because I kind of you just rock up and start speaking English the whole time. <laughs> yeah, I mean, sort of like <laughs> not, get not, eight covers, spoken English. Like I had to, I had to relearn a whole bunch of English that, like, I mean, I've probably already forgotten it now. But yeah, right. But verb conjugation, present present perfect, and all these right, like so you're not, you know, so superlatives. English or like more sounds like more intermediate. Yeah, I guess maybe intermediate you would yeah. say. But like just because you're a native speaker doesn't mean you actually understand yeah, like, the, the, the language. And can but justify why things are exactly, a certain way. Because, yeah, if students ask you why is it like that, mm. you know, like like present perfect is a good one, like, you know, because it doesn't exist in Portuguese. So you'll get Brazilians ask like they don't understand why you would say something like what's the difference, how can you put into a into a sentence – that is a teaching tool and how can you explain to someone that there's a reason behind the, the two different sentences of I lost my keys mm. and I've, or I have lost my keys because it doesn't exist in Portuguese. So a Brazilian goes, what is the difference between I lost my keys and I've lost my keys? Like if I asked you to oh, explain yeah, that yeah. to me now yeah. and try to tell me how I need to learn when to use which one. Yeah. That's difficult. Right. And so I had to relearn a whole bunch of that stuff. But in the beginning, not really, because as a native speaker, sometimes you would get more advanced English speakers that just wanted to have conversational English. Right. So you, the, the class you would do with them was essentially you would just talk. Right. And that's super nice. easy if you got along with the student and yeah. you could just talk like you're two friends. Yeah. But if it was someone who, like, man, sometimes it'd feel like you're pulling teeth. Yeah. You know, this dude wants conversational English, but he's just yes, no, every every question, doesn't ask me any question. Like we're not having we're not conversing yeah. here. Um but yeah, the the longer I did it, the more English grammar and structure I learned. Right. But it was just a means to an end. I like to teach. Mm. But in terms of do I enjoy the subject English, not 
whatsoever. So at this point, you alluded to that you you enjoyed the teaching aspect, which is fortunate now that you you know you own a gym and you teach jujitsu full every time now and again. Yeah, yeah, every yeah <laughs> on, on occasion only on Tuesdays. Um, so at this point in the journey, in the the Adam Child's jujitsu journey. Were you planning to open a gym back in Australia? Was that on the radar? Yeah, always. Like, because I always knew that that was that was the way to make a career out of it. Like, I knew that from the beginning. Because um, anyone who's looking to live, like, use jujitsu as their career and make money from it, even if money's not your driving factor, which it wasn't for me either. I mean if you want to have a family or whatever it is, like, I mean, you st- everyone's got bills to pay. So um, the most consistent way to, to make money in jujitsu is, is owning a gym. I've said it so many times before how fleeting your fame is in jujitsu. I think it was last episode or the one before we spoke about how quickly, um, you know, names become irrelevant in jujitsu. You know, you're famous one day and then all of a sudden some other youngster comes along and, you know, so, the time that you can make, even if you're a world champion, which, okay, I never reached that level. But, but you did if, compete at Worlds, I must. Own, world's Masters, yeah. yeah I never. I, Still I, counts. Yeah, sort of, yeah. <laughs> I mean, uh, you're too I, humble. <laughs> I mean, like I fought at the Pan Ams, like I won uh, an invitation, not an invitation. Uh, there was like a the, the competitive circuit in Sao Paulo, if you scored enough points throughout the year, you were then invited to compete in a in a in a final tournament, and if you won that, they would then pay for your flights and everything to to LA to to compete in the pans. So I did that at Blue Belt. Um, but what was I saying? What was the question again? Yeah. So before before that, you were talking about um, opening the gym, and it was always your plan. All right. Yeah. Yeah. So even if even if I were a world champion or anyone who's you know had success in competition the the people wanting to book you for seminars doesn't last forever Mm. right like so you can only make so much money i mean you could potentially make a lot of money and then if you're savvy at business invest and whatever like you know but in terms of just consistent income right owning a gym's the way to do it Mm. so i always knew that i wanted to come back and teach and open a gym i mean i did go there with the mindset of like I really wanted to be a world champion and, you know, um, I, I remember, yeah, I wanted to be Australia's first black belt world champion, um, but, you know, didn't work out. So if, if, if I'm listening to this, I'm someone out there, maybe I'm in a similar situation to what you were in. I'm 25, 26 odd, you know, around that age. I've, I've been training jiu-jitsu for a little bit. Maybe I'm a blue belt, maybe I'm a white belt still. And, you know, I'm thinking the same as what you were thinking all those years ago that I want to pursue jiu-jitsu as a career. What advice would you would you give to me? Is it is the journey has the journey along the way been what you expected it to be or the first thing I would say is you're old, you're too late, bro. Mid 20s, move on. <laughs> <laughs> no, like, oh, I mean, shit. <laughs> no, but I mean um I'm joking but half not joking. Like the the way that jiu-jitsu is progressing. I mean even back when I started, I was old in the sense that you know, I was a 25-year-old white belt or whatever 
and you're looking at the current black belt world champions who are in the – Yeah, well, then they weren't, but, you know, they're mid to late 20s. Oh, sorry, uh, early to mid 20s. So I'm like, oh, awesome. So the current best guys in the world, not only are they younger than me, but they're also already black belts and stuff. And if you if you follow competitive jujitsu, you've seen like the it's trending down. It's oh man, the seventeen and eighteen year olds today, like the dude, like uh, crazy good. So I'm half joking, but half not right. But if you know, if we ignore that and just advice for if you want to pursue jujitsu as your career, um. I mean, it's it's not easy. A lot of people say that, oh, it's not easy, it's super hard. Well, okay, like a lot of stuff's super hard, right? But um, if if you really want to do it, I think at this stage you've kind of only got three options. You've either got to move to Brazil, you've either got to move to the US, or you have to – Come train with me. No. <laughs> no like, um, I mean, depending whether you're more focused on um, on gi or no gi might influence your decision. Right. So you're thinking, you're thinking along the lines of being a competitor. Oh, right. Yeah. I mean, sorry, I should – yeah, the two different things, right, being a competitor and or opening a, a gym. Um, if we're – yeah, just to finish that train of thought, mm-hmm. like there's – I mean – Lachlan, Lockie, Lachlan Giles from Absolute MMA in Melbourne proved it when he went on a tear at the last ADCC. And he proved it that you don't have to move and live overseas to, to be successful. And, it, and it's true. I'm not disagreeing with Lockie, but um, I will also kind of say it's like, oh, well, you know, just because one – person is a you know in this case Lockie is like an exception to the rule yes like, so you're in, you know, injecting I mean, some realism here yeah i just think the odds are in your it's easy i don't want to say it's easier but like i mean you're just playing the odds mm. if you go to one of the top teams in brazil or the u.s and there's a huge amount of top teams in the u.s as well because a lot of the brazilian successful brazilian competitors move to the u.s for a better life and it's closer to brazil opposed to that's why we don't have as many um you know, of the the Brazilian black belt world champions moving to Australia and opening gyms. Uh, It's just harder visa-wise. It's way further away, you know, whereas the amount of Brazilians that live in, um, that live in like Miami or something, it's not, it's quite a short short flight. Yeah. It's not that short, but, you know. North America versus South. Yeah, right. Um, So, you know, if you wanted to be in, uh, if you're like, I want to be a world champion, You've got to, uh, in my opinion, at the current jiu-jitsu market, you've either got to move to one of those countries or you can still do it as an Australian training in Australia, but you even even looking at some of the domestic guys like Lockie, like Craig, like Levi, they may not have permanently moved overseas like I did, but they've spent time traveling overseas time. and yeah. training overseas, right? Yeah. Like, um, but if you're just wanting to pursue jiu-jitsu as a career as an instructor, firstly, it's super important to compete at some stage. You don't have to want to be a competitor, but if you want to be a teacher and you don't compete nor have you ever competed, how are you going to coach your students who want to compete? Okay. Right? So that's very important. But um, I think I'll use the analogy of language, right? You, If you want to run a gym and own a gym and make a living teaching jiu-jitsu – you can't just be good at it, right? You have to understand it. Like you can't just be a native speaker of English. 
you have to understand the, the why of the language, the structure of the language. And it's the same with, with teaching jujitsu, right? Because you're going to like, so you see bad instructors and they're like, you know, they're like, okay, guys, let's go. We put our hand here and here and then we push and then we come on top. Okay, let's go. One, two, clap, right? And you're like, <laughs> uh, but what happens if this, or you just, you just, you just get up, you know, like, yeah. you know, cause they don't actually understand it. You, like you see world champions teach like that because I mean, they're incredible athletes and it's just all natural and second nature for them. But like the same with us speaking English, but they don't actually understand what's going on, mm. you know? And I think you don't necessarily have to go overseas for that. Mm. You know, you may, you on a regular basis, you're going to be exposed to higher level jujitsu, but, um, you know, I don't think it's as required. So that leads me on to something that I wanted to talk to you about on this on this topic in general. And you sort of alluded to it there with different difference in being able to to do versus being able to teach. But what about the difference between skill level? Uh, in terms of what what's the difference in a belt standard? Like, I know this is going to be anecdotal, but what's in your opinion? What's the difference between a blue belt that received their blue belt? You know, at at insert gym name here, you know, not yeah. a specific gym, but in Australia or even maybe in the States versus receiving one in Brazil. Is a blue belt in Brazil the same as a blue belt in Australia? I mean, the gap's closing for sure. And um, it's worth pointing out that you can come across tough guys anywhere, really skilled guys anywhere. You know, it, it was different back when I was over there because you didn't have as much internet yeah. Right? And YouTube and Instagram and all this stuff, you know, you could be living in, you know, in Uluru in the middle of Australia and get access to huge amounts of, of knowledge and train it with your partners and whatever and become a monster. So it's worth pointing that out. But um, as Alice a Springs Alliance team is coming <laughs> soon. <laughs> but as a, as a generalization, you know, the gap's closing by the day, but. I think there's something about training. I don't, I don't know if it's something about training in Brazil, but there's something about training at, at top competitive teams and gyms, man, like, like it's different, you know, not only are guys more skilled, like they just have more tenacity, like it's, it's just another level. And I try personally to maintain that level of my students. I try to hold my students to the same standards that, that Fabio held me too um and you know i don't want to i don't want to just give out the belts i want to you know when i wanted to come back here and open a gym it was always with the goal of elevating the level of jujitsu in australia mm. and um so giving out free belts isn't going to do that right and i think it's not fair to the student either and we would have that heaps of the time at um at, at, at Fabio's gym. It's not like there was like a known gym enforcer, but we would have so many people come through and whether they were just visiting or people would, you know, come through to suss us out. Like, you know, we would always get like black belts from random teams coming in leading up to the worlds, like trying to, you know, and you'd see them, I'm, I'm not joking, you'd see them like, you know, when people are drilling before class, they'd be trying to be like sneaky and film what they're drilling. So no it's like- No way, that's yeah, ridiculous. Yeah, I know, yeah. Um, How is that allowed? <laughs> <laughs> it's like an imposter in the mix. Yeah, yeah. And so 
yeah, there weren't gym enforcers, but like when Fabio would pair you with someone who was visiting, like you knew, especially in competition class, like you knew it was the expectation was you put the smash on, like you had to represent, like, yeah. and that's it's a, I don't know, a slightly outdated. Is that why you culture. keep pairing Joey up with me? <laughs> yeah, I'm waiting for you to smash him, bro. <laughs> <laughs> Joey, for those that don't know, is a very competent brown belt. Yeah, and he's very strong. Um. But yeah, like you would, um, you'd, you'd often get put with someone, and you knew you had to, you had to step up. And um, I used to like it. I used to like. I remember one of my, one of my favorite moments. It actually wasn't with a visitor. It was just with a, another student. But I was a purple belt at the time, and the guy I was training with was a, was a brown belt. His name, um, Vitor, I think his name was, and. You know, he was – we were about the same size. Like I'm 6'4". He was like 6'4"-ish. I think he had another like five kilos on me. He was a bit more built than I was. Um, and we were doing this groups of three training. And I can't remember the exact specifics of it, but it was it was like uh, we call like hojizu de pontos, which means you just change partners when points are scored. And it was the end of the class and – it was like a packed competition class. And in the competition classes, you don't even want to concede an advantage, right? Like You're simulating competition. Yeah, you're simulating competition. And, you know, when I say advantage, we're just assuming we're under standard rule sets, right? Mm-hmm. Like, so you, you don't want to give an inch. Even if you're ignoring points, you don't want to give an inch, right? Because you're, you're, you're really going at it. And I remember I was half guard on the bottom with this guy. And so I obviously needed to sweep him and he needed to pass and the class had ended, but like Fabio said, you know, like the current people, because of multiple groups of three, mm. right? And doing this specific training. And Fabio was like, um, was like, okay, like you keep going until the points are scored and, and then we're done, right? Then the class will be over. And so this went on, like, I think it was still like, I don't know, like 10 minutes after class had end, wow. finished. And by this stage, everyone else had finished except me and me and Vitor. And, and uh, he, is he a visitor at this time? No, no, no. no, no he's he, not a visitor? Yeah, but he was newer to the gym than right, I was. Like right. he was a brown belt when he joined. Right. Um, Sorry, what belt were you at this point? A, pur- a purple, purple belt. purple belt, you said yeah. that, yeah. And, um, you know, I I don't want to um, – unfortunately, I didn't have as much competition success as I like as I wish I could have had. But, you know, I was considered one of the – one of the top guys for for each of my belts in the gym. Like when I was a blue belt, everyone was like, dude, you're the best blue belt in the world. Go to Worlds. You're going to win weight. You're going to win absolute. Like, you know, every time there was a grading, you know, people were like, man, you're going to get your next belt, blah, blah, blah. Like, you know, I I, I was good. You know, I know it sounds a bit wanky to say, but anyway. So like, <laughs> well, I, you are a bit of a wanker, so yeah. it's okay. Fits. <laughs> to be expected. <laughs> so I didn't want to get my guard pass. Right. And, and then Fabio's like, come on, guys, let's go. Like, you know, like kind of losing yeah. patience and everyone's watching. And you got to remember, like I, I was training every class. It wasn't just – there's like superstars in the room. I mean, it feels weird for me to say because they were just training partners and, yeah. and friends. But like sometimes I'll be telling a story and someone says like, oh – 
you know, you just say Lange like it's so casual, yeah. like Michael Lange, yeah. you know, bet one of the Gabby best. Garcia. Yeah, Gabby Garcia and all these people. I'm like, Bernardo Ferreira. Yeah. It's like, yeah, because they were just like training partners for me. Like yeah. they're not people that I would see in the street and be like, oh, oh my God, that's so-and-so, you know? Yeah. Anyway, so you got to remember there's a room full of like, there's like 30 black belts and, you know, there's blue belt world champions, purple belt world champions, brown belt world champions. Like this the room's like stacked with talent and everyone's watching me and Vitor and like, you know, it was like, come on, let's go, blah, blah, blah. And I remember like I, I, I like came up from half guard, like kind of like onto a single leg or something and everyone's like, yeah, everyone like starts <laughs> screaming. I'm like, oh, and then like I dump him down and then like, you know, he's like scrambles back up to not let me consolidate. And people oh. like, oh, come on, Adam, go, go. And I like <laughs> ended up getting him and holding him down and getting the sweep and like everyone cheered. It's like I a remember, coliseum. <laughs> yeah, man, like, it, you know, it was almost – yeah, I, I'm not going to say it was better than winning, a, you know, a competition, but like it was just so, so awesome to happen at, at a gym better like that. In, in better than what? Oh, it's a don't worry, it's an old meme. <laughs> Sorry, I, I'm derailing you. <laughs> Go ahead. <laughs> just was l- nice to happen, like in front of all my peers and everything. Like was That's awesome. Was awesome, and I don't know. There were just moments like that, similar to that, that were against visitors. Like uh, another one was actually when Leoido Machida came in to train. And I think I might have been a purple belt. Sorry, I've never heard of them. Who were they? Uh, Leoido Machida was um, a UFC fighter. Uh, he okay. was um, he was the, the guy who like fought, like his style was karate. He was the Brazilian guy. Um, he, did he, did he train with Anderson Silva or they, they were potentially going to fight each other? I can't remember. Um, Okay, so around Anderson Silva's time? Yeah, and he was so we're talking uh, early 2000s. Light heavyweight world champion. He was right. like a UFC world champion. Right. Um, he was famous for drinking his own pee. Right? <laughs> <laughs> well, yeah. Any, uh, anyway, um, Machida came in to train and I was like blue belt still or maybe I was a purple belt. And I remember like Fabio paired me with Machida. So I was like. Okay, was, it's you know, like yeah. yeah, like Fabio's. Fabio is not pairing me with Machida so Machida can bash up a blue belt, right? Yeah. Or whatever. And Machida's a black belt in jiu-jitsu as well, right? And um and yeah, I remember I was like, oh man, let's let's fucking go, right? Wow. And so I was like, yeah, I'm enforcing on the on the UFC light heavyweight world champion. Let's wow. go. And um yeah, I smashed him. <laughs> <laughs> so you walk in. He, what belt is he at the top? He's a black belt. So he's a black belt. You get paired up. As a blue belt, you get paired up with this visitor out of town, UFC world champion comes in wearing a black belt, and and Fabio's like, "I want to put the blue belt on him." Yeah, that is. Well, maybe so I was cool. a purple belt. I can't remember. But even um, then, but like, yeah, I think I can't remember. I've got a photo somewhere of me, Machida. Super, super lovely dude. Really, yeah. really nice. Um, I can't remember. I think I was like, I think I took his back or something. Like I can't remember exactly the specifics of the role, but I do remember a point where I was half guard on the bottom. And if anyone has, for people who have never rolled with a wrestler or an MMA fighter, it's hard to describe how heavy they are just from a position like being on their knees in, in your, in your half guard. But I remember during the role, even though I was, dominating the whole role, I, 
I remember thinking, I'm glad he's not allowed to punch me in the head here. Yeah. Because, like, you know, it's a whole different thing, yeah. right, if it were yeah. MMA. <laughs> <laughs> so, I mean, I was well aware of that. That's funny. One of my first, like, couple of weeks training at your gym, there's this guy there. Um, I, I haven't really seen him too often anymore, but he's a blue belt. He mostly trained in Nogi, and he had an MMA background. In the first couple of weeks of, of training, I was half guard on the bottom and he had one arm pinned behind my back and basically the he had a complete <laughs> open side and an open free hand and he, and he just looks at me and said, if this was MMA, I'd be just punching you in the face right now. <laughs> <laughs> Who was it? Um, oh, I can't even remember his name, but uh, really lovely guy. Australian like, guy? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Super lovely guy. He was, he was just having a joke with me. Yeah, yeah, um, yeah. But I mean, I remember at that point, thinking to myself the same as what you were thinking. Like if if punches were allowed, if this was MMA, this was a fight, I would be so fucked. It's yeah, not even funny. Yeah. And it was it was a pure moment of just, yeah, like humbling. It's so humbling. Yeah, but it's also different sports, right? It's like, you know, yeah. you can't be like in a boxing match and be like, oh, if takedowns were allowed, I'd be so screwed right now. Yeah. You know, like diff- yeah, diff- different sport. But yeah. But yeah. Um, yeah, I'm trying to think who it would be. Who, what blue belt do we have that yeah, and he, does a bit of MMA? Uh, I think he used he used to do it. He doesn't do it anymore. Um, the the name will come to me. I probably would. I'll probably uh, four it episodes off later. Kieran's yeah. like Steve. <laughs> that was it. I'm like, what? <laughs> oh man. So when when you were in Brazil, because you were there for five years, did you get an opportunity to do much travel, or was you single like focus like uh, I su- train? Su- super minimal travel? Yeah. Like um, we traveled. We would often go back to a city called Jujuara, which is the city my wife is from. Okay, to see um, her family. And yeah, everything to see, like yeah, that? exactly. Yeah. To see her family. Like that's the city we got married in. It's about like. Uh, what is it like eight or nine nine hundred kilometers away from Sao Paulo? So okay. you know, so it's like driving from Sydney to Melbourne or something right, like that. Right. So um, you know, it's a they have an airport, but super dodgy, dinky little airport. So I ain't getting on one of those <laughs> planes. <laughs> so you're busting uh, it. Yes, yeah, <laughs> yeah. So we would literally get um an overnight bus. So yeah. we could try to sleep, and we would sneak our dog onto the bus with us <laughs> and and um our dog she's a little bit precious so she, it's not like she just sat there super quiet mm. so it was a it was always a bit of a pain and it was such a such a trek because we'd have to go through all the Sao Paulo train system to get to the the bus station and then overnight on the bus and then we'd get a taxi to um, to my in-laws house and then if it was just for a weekend so we would arrive there on the Saturday morning because we would have got the bus over Friday night then we're there Saturday Sunday then we would leave Sunday night on a bus overnight just to land in Sao Paulo like Monday morning and then go straight to work or to the gym or whatever I mean it was fine if we were going for for Christmas or during carnival or something like that when you know it's a, a bigger period of holidays but um yeah so we would go there all the time. I had already been to Rio before because before moving to Canada, I had been to Brazil um, just as a tourist, yeah, right? Okay. Like when when my wife and I left Australia, we went to Brazil first just for a few months, like a holiday, and then we went up to Canada. So I'd done the Rio thing, but I'd, I'd been to Rio again since then. Um, the only other place we went was um, Foz do Iguaçu, which is like the – it's where Brazil meets Argentina 
and I think one other country, or maybe, I don't know, but it's a massive, like, it's a set of waterfalls that are, they're, they're bigger than Niagara Falls. Oh, wow. Right? It's, um, so we went there and that was really cool. But, um, oh, and I went to one other city, uh, Florianopolis, which is a part of, it's kind of like, a, it's a really nice area of Brazil. It's kind of like the, kind of Byron Bay of, of Brazil. Sort like a of. beachy town. Yeah, it's like a small little beachy town. Yeah, really yeah, nice. You really felt fun. at home then. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, I didn't travel too much. And the whole five years I was there, I only came home to Australia once to see to see friends and family. Because I just didn't have man, I just didn't have any money. Yeah. Hey, like we 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 lived a super poor life in Brazil. Like we didn't Is that live- part of the reason like you you sorry to cut you off there, but you you talk often when you speak about Brazil, like when whenever we've spoken about it off air, you, you talk about how difficult difficult it was. Do you think that the difficulties or I'm I'm just putting this to you, are the difficulties that you found living in Brazil, did it stem predominantly from the, the funds and the, the poverty. And I know that you're, we, we need to talk about your apartment as well. Cause I've seen a, <laughs> there's a YouTube video on, <laughs> on your old, old YouTube account uh, that, that you sent me that was filmed on a potato, but yeah. it, I, yeah. I could see your well, apartment. That's all we had back then, Kieran, yeah. was potatoes. <laughs> <laughs> but it was, um, it was like an, it's, I've, it's, it's great. It's great. Um, and I, I never, just to clarify, I don't have a YouTube channel. It was just like, I had uploaded, I think two videos. Yes. One was like of me competing as a white belt. Your road to blue belt. Yeah. And uh, the other, montage, which yeah. is brilliant. And then and then the other was which was all from competitions in Canada, by the way. Yeah. Right. And then one another one was just a video I made so my my friends back home in Australia could see what I was doing, what mm. life was like. Again, this was, you know, we didn't have Instagram and things like that. So there wasn't you could talk to people through like Facebook chat or whatever, but it wasn't as like connected uh, online as we are today. So, you know, I made this crappy little video about a, a day in the life and it was it's great. You know, it's Brilliant. just a little bit of what it was like for, for, for me living there. Yeah. And the apartment, like to say it was an, a studio apartment is probably an understatement. <laughs> like it, do, can you just describe the apartment for, for everyone? Cause I think everyone needs to hear this. So small, like, Man, like, yeah, so we didn't live in a favela, but we lived in like, man, it was such like, I wish I had filmed the front, like the entrance to the complex. It was kind of like just in the, you know how sometimes you'll see in a commercial area on the street, just some like in between two dinky shops, some random door. Yeah. You know, it was kind of like that. Wow. No, not kind of, it was, right? And so you would open the door and you'd go into this super like dark, a narrow, dark, narrow, corridor. dark yeah. corridor. Exactly. And stairs go straight exactly. up or something. Or. And, um, and it went, and there were two tiny little apartments on the, in that first little dark corridor. And then you would get out the back and there were, were more apartments. We actually first moved into this tiny little one that was in that dark corridor. We were only there for like a week. And it, <laughs> dude, you th- it was, You've seen the YouTube video. This yeah. first one was half the size of that. I don't know how that's possible. Dude, it was literally a room and like not even a room. Like uh, when I say a room, it would fit a double bed, not a queen bed. Mm. It would fit a queen bed, uh, sorry, a, a double bed and then maybe your suitcase. Like that was it. And then the bathroom was just like, I don't know, like two meters by two meters and it wow. was just a toilet with a shower head up in the middle of yeah, the ceiling. Yeah, for, for everyone listening here, and the, the 
the apartment that you ended up moving to, which is bigger than that. was in the same complex actually. Right. So the, the reason I'm saying this is because we moved because uh, a room out the back became available and it was slightly more expensive but I think like after two nights or something in the tiny little one, like yeah. my wife woke up in the middle of the night with a cockroach on her face oh. and she was like, no, I'm fucking out. Yeah, fuck that. So we moved out the back, right? And then, um, yeah, so small, right? It was kind of so it was essentially one main room. It was probably four meters by three meters or something like that. Wow. And that had that was that was everything. So in that room had our bed, our wardrobe, our washing machine, our fridge, our stove, like, like ev- the kitchen, like ev- yeah, 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 everything. everything yeah. And then behind that room, there was just like a sink. So there was a sink with enough space for you to keep some dishes and stuff. But there was essentially just a sink and then the bathroom. And the bathroom was um, – it's really weird in, in some places in Brazil. Like, well, if you're living in a cheap place like this. Yeah, like you've got the toilet. Like the toilet and the shower aren't separate. Like, like when, you, when, you, when you pee in the shower – you're you're peeing in the toilet because the, to- <laughs> the toilet the toilet. Are you is- admitting that you <laughs> pee in the shower? Yeah. The toilet is literally in in the shower, and there are these weird electrical showers, like uh, super dodgy, like wires hanging out oh and everything. My God. Yeah, like so small. Yeah, like really, really tiny, That's and really just like also just just dirty, man. Like I remember, I really didn't enjoy living in Sao Paulo. I enjoyed the people, the food, the jujitsu. Sorry, just to circle back to my original question. Do you think that was due to the fact that, you know, you put everything on the line for the, the, was Um, it the money? Look like, don't get me, yeah, it didn't help. Yeah. Right. Uh, But even like our last year in Brazil, we moved to a nicer house. Um, It's actually a really nice house, but you know, a lot of the struggles, even if you've got money, don't get me wrong, it's going to be better, but there's still a lot of things that make it tough there that exist regardless of your money. When you, opposed to being a tourist somewhere, when you live there, you you really depend and become part of the infrastructure. So, for example, it's just when you have to deal with the banks in Brazil, the phone companies, the internet companies. Like you think dealing with IINet or TPG, which are internet providers here in Australia, or Telstra or whatever, you think it, dealing with them and having to call them is a pain? Dude, you, you have no idea. Like dealing with all that stuff in Brazil is so, so hard. I'll give you two examples. When we were leaving Brazil... Um, I was cancelling our internet plan with a company called Net, Net, N-E-T. And um, when you would call them to to try to cancel, they would say, okay, cool, I'll I'll put you through to the cancellations department and then they just hang up on you, right? Like, and you would call again. They just hang up on you so you can't talk to someone to cancel, right? Um, And it's so common that you have um, the third-party companies who it's their job to chase up these other companies on your behalf, kind of like an, what's it called, an, an ombudsman or whatever? Ombudsman, yeah. Yeah, kind of like that, right? And then once one of those companies gets onto them, then a company like Net will be like, oh. But even then, man, I was, for a f- six months after leaving Brazil, I was still getting emails from Net with saying I had to pay so-and-so bill. Wow. I was, I was like, no. Nah. Uh, there was another one where I'll tell you, 
Fabio, he was dealing with Chim. Chim is a, a phone provider, notoriously bad as well, where he got a bill for using his phone internationally. Fair enough. Fabio travels a lot, right? For, for jiu-jitsu related stuff. So he got a bill for using his phone overseas, you know, international rates and everything, but it was it was too high, right? The bill wasn't wasn't correct. I can't remember the numbers. It was something like ten thousand, you know, or no, I think it was six thousand dollars was the bill. Holy or, shit. And it wasn't supposed to be, right? Like Whoa. it was like he had proof that it should have only been whatever, a thousand or whatever it was. And they kept billing him over and over and over to the point where he had to take them to court. Right? Wow, really? And and Fabio won the case. Chim had to pay him $6,000 in damages. <laughs> and then even after the court case, they, they, they still keep sending him the bill. Oh, my God. And, and he just throws it in the trap. I mean, now years have gone by. I doubt they're still sending him the That's bill. That's insane. But, man, and so, you know, you depend on the infrastructure, catching the buses, the transport in Sao Paulo is, is atrocious. Like, the traffic is just – there were some days where I lived about five kilometres from the gym, right? And, like, in Sao Paulo, if someone lives 20 kilometres away, forget it. Like they're so they're they're like a two and a half hour three hour drive right like I would I was five k's from the gym and some days like it could be yeah, an hour and a half on right, the you bus could, you could actually oh walk. There, there were plenty of times where I would get off the bus and walk, and walk to either the gym or or, yeah. or to to work or whatever yeah so it's just like the struggles with living there are. Don't get me wrong. There's a lot, a lot of beautiful things about Brazil, but yeah, just infrastructure. It's super dirty. That was the first thing I noticed coming from a country like Australia, or you know, I've traveled to to, to Japan. Like Tokyo is man, you could lick the, the subway <laughs> floor. Like it's so. I remember in Tokyo, I went into the subway, and you know the little like circle dots that are at the top and bottom of stairs to like the slip to stop you from slipping. Yes, right? yes. I'm not making this up. There were people like uh, in the subway on on their hands and knees cleaning the little circles with uh, the little slip circles with toothbrushes. Wow. Dude, it's so clean. So, but anyway, Canada's really clean, right? Cleaner than Sydney. So yeah. coming from countries like this, it's really dirty. There was one day I remember I left our little dingy corridor to go wait for the bus and like I walked out the door and – Within a f- within the first five meters, I'd stepped over two piles of vomit and a used condom that were just on the oh, footpath, man. like in the middle of the that footpath. Sounds like a good like, night. <laughs> <laughs> like, oh, it sounds like my Wednesday. <laughs> and like you know, and just yeah, there were there was two different occasions that leaving our little our apartment. Yeah, you, you, there was no other way out except this corridor. It was the only way out, right? It was like a one meter wide corridor. The only way in and out of the complex. And there were two separate occasions that my wife was leaving for work before me. And just in the middle of, of the corridor is like a rat the size oh. of a dog. And she's like, I'm she, like, no, nah, I'm not leaving. Like, you need to help me. Like, I can't get yeah. past. And That's I remember crazy. I was like, what do I do? Like, Kick it. <laughs> you know what I did? They had like, there were like Besser blocks lying around. Do you know what a Besser yeah, block yes. is? Like those big building bricks. Yes. And I remember just oh, like, no. like, because it was alive. Like it wasn't yeah. dead, 
that maybe it had eaten some poison or something because, uh. you know, didn't run away. Yeah. I remember just putting the brick like in front of it and then just tipping it over so the brick landed on it. Oh, and the screech oh. of the rat, bro. And Peter, I had, stop listening now. <laughs> <laughs> RSPCA. And I had to do this on two separate occasions. Wow. A third time I was walking home and there was one bit of the corridor that like there was the first initial corridor where the dingy apartment we lived that had the cockroach was and then it went outside for a little bit and round a corner and then there were the rest of the buildings. So out the back there was like some sunlight and stuff and there was one little tree. I remember it was nighttime and I was uh, walking, I was getting home and I'm walking like under the bit where there's a little tree and like I hear some like I hear something in the tree, some rustling. I'm like, huh? And I look up and as I look up, this mother-sized rat is just falling towards oh. my face. And I'm just like, Hah! and I just like ninja dodge out of the way. And I'm like, Dah! and the rat just lands on the ground and I love the sound effects. off. <laughs> I'm just like, nah, like, fuck this, bro. Like just. And that's when you move back. <laughs> yeah. Man, Man, it was just, I don't know. So. Obviously, that's more money related, yeah. you know, but it's just to, to answer your question, there's just, man, there's a lot of infrastructure struggles and stuff with, with living, living in Brazil. Like, it's, it's just not easy. And I'm not saying here's perfect. Like, it, you know, obviously, there's going to be pros and cons anywhere you live. But for me, I've, I found it really hard, you know. I, I had all the support from my wife. But it wasn't like we were getting bankrolled or anything. Like it, everything was hard, and some sometimes are really way harder than others. I had three surgeries in Brazil. Uh, two were injury related through jujitsu. One was just unfortunately uh, um, I had to get my appendix out. But um, so I had three surgeries. So the times that I was in hospital or I, you know I was recovering from a surgery, so I couldn't train, and you know. It definitely was hard, man. Like if I'd be lying if I said I didn't think about quitting and, and, and coming back, especially when, yeah, I'm so far from my friends and family. Uh, I couldn't train. So it was like, what am I doing here? You yeah. know, like. It would been very difficult. Yeah, it was super hard. Worth it? Oh, yeah. I mean, like I, I wouldn't I wouldn't change it now, right? Like definitely worth it. But for me, I don't want to go too sort of um, into – philosophical or whatever but i for me in in life i really believe in whatever you do like like it always has a price right and it's it's the price you're willing to pay and if you want to be super successful at something or whatever you want to achieve then it always comes at a cost and so for some athletes right if we look at jujitsu athletes the price that they've paid could be, you know, um, medical issues they'll have later in their life. The price maybe they've paid has been, uh, you know, a common one is socializing. A lot of professional athletes give up, you know, uh, going drinking with friends and partying, especially if you're an athlete who is coming up and training and competing in whatever sport, like, but when you're in your, your late teens, early twenties, a lot of those people give up, you know, uh, uh, you know, social life, girlfriends and all those sort of things. So, you know, I know I might sound like I'm being a, a bit soft, but for me, the, the, 
you know, the it was a heavy price. Like it was really hard living over there and away from everyone and no money and just just the constant struggles and surgeries and everything that went with it. But, I mean, I was willing to pay the price, right? Mm-hmm. But, you know, doesn't mean – like it wasn't a cheap price. You know how sometimes you might make a purchase, maybe you buy a new computer or something, and it's totally worth it, but you're like – you know, you still, when you stop and think about, oh man, how much money you spent, like it hurts a little, <laughs> a little bit, even if it's a worthy purchase. Yeah, that makes you sense. You know, so for me, yeah, like it, it, it was worth it. But at least for me, emotionally, it, it was it was quite the price to pay. But it, but you know, I was I was willing to pay it. Well, you were there for five years, so yeah. All right, moving forward. Now that you've you have an established gym, you're established in Rose Bay, Sydney, Alliance, Sydney. Yep. For all those probably know that by now. Check it out. Yep, yep. <laughs> check it out. Check it out. Come, come for a roll. What's 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 next? What's next for me, bro? I'm putting what? you on the spot. This was not this, this was not is, a planned this question. This was not a planned question. Um, I mean, my if we talk about career wise, my goal has always been to have the most successful gym in um in Sydney and Australia, the world, right? Yeah. But, you know, step one would be to have the most successful gym in Sydney. I mean, your definition of success might be different to mine, but, um, you know, I want to have a successful gym in terms of, you know, I've ne- I never got into jiu-jitsu for the money, but successful is in, of course, I can't be losing money, right? Uh, I need it to be successful so my wife and I can can have a home for our son and everything. So, of course, that that's super important. But I want it to be the most successful as in I want us to have a super um, high-level competition team. I want the, the, the team to grow in Sydney and Australia. Alliance, in terms of the size of the team in Australia, is relatively small. It's super small, actually. Really big in Brazil and the US. bit smaller, again, in Europe and then in 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 Australasia, super tiny. So I want to grow the team over on this side of the world, you know. Uh, so that's the goal career-wise, right, to just grow the gym and the brand and invest a lot in my students and have them compete successfully and reach their jiu-jitsu goals. Um, but then, I don't know, in terms of what's next for me individually and just, you know, and. Hanada and I, Hanada, my wife, and and our son Atlas. I don't know, man. I'm just super happy with 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 having him. He's almost two and a half, and you know the silver lining of these in and out of lockdowns is getting to spend heaps more time with him as a dad than I would when the gym's open, right? Um, so as this is being recorded, Sydney's in an extended lockdown due to COVID, and Typically, I'm at the gym every, every morning, noon, and night, right? So, of course, I see Atlas because I come and go for work. But, you know, every night I'm at the gym and, you know, so I'm almost never there for his, like, bath time and dinner time and putting him to bed and all that. So, I don't know. Don't I get asked a lot of the time, are you going to have more kids and stuff? I don't know, right? <laughs> I'm more curious. Are you going to open another gym? Yeah, am I going <laughs> to open another gym? Yeah. I mean, I didn't want to. I didn't want to spill too many. Uh, yeah, yeah. Biz, business <laughs> business plans, but you know, I've been using the lockdown to work on a lot of um, projects that should then hopefully be ready to go once the gym opens back up mm. projects that uh, will help the growth of the team, but also some projects that are just designed to give 
more more value to the students, more teaching and learning tools for the students, things just to to offer a better product and service to the students and the jujitsu community and and yeah, but I'm the, definitely the, looking forward to that. Yeah, the, the overall goal is have the best have the best gym and team in Sydney and then in Australia. Well, I may be biased, but I definitely think you're well on your way for oh, that. Thanks, Craig. <laughs> <laughs> awesome, man. Well, that, that was really good to, to talk about your time in Brazil and, and get an insight yeah, I mean, the history of Adam Childs. Yeah, obviously it was only a, you know, we could, we could do five 50, hours. Special. We could do, yeah, <laughs> 50 episodes of, of talking about stories in Brazil, the time when I got yelled out for tapping for pressure or, oh, you definitely know, the, need to talk the about times that, yeah. where, you know, I thought I was going to get – actually, I have re- had quite a funny story about when I – um look, maybe it's for another time. I think I, I, think I yeah, told we'll the story it. on, the, on um, the Jungle Brothers podcast once, which was um, – or maybe – I don't know. I've told the story so many times about, uh, you know, if I ever got mugged in Brazil or was it safe or dangerous. And yeah. I have a funny story about um, – when I thought I was getting mugged. Yeah, right. <laughs> anyway. Another, well, in the next episode, Adam recounts the story <laughs> of when he got mugged. <laughs> Stay tuned. Clickbait. <laughs> yeah, but awesome. um, what I think we're, we're doing something a bit different next episode. Yes, right? we are. Yeah. So um, Adam's, Adam's given me the subtle reminder there. So if you, in next episode, where this will be episode number seven, lucky seven, we're going to be doing a segment on ask a black belt. So if you have any questions that you want to ask a black belt, being Adam Childs, and you've just heard his uh, biography there, so you know that he's very qualified to answer them, please submit them to the show. To submit them to the show, either go to my personal Instagram, which is at Kieran Lefebvre, that's K-I-E-R-E-N for Kieran and L-E-F-E-V-R-E for Lefebvre. Uh, or my YouTube channel under the same name. And to reach Adam, submit to Alliance Sydney BJJ is the Instagram yep. handle there. Yep. Yep. Uh, so slide into the DMs, hit us up on any of the socials or just direct messages, uh, direct message us uh, anywhere you find us there and we will answer them in the next episode. Yeah, I'll do my best. Thanks for listening. All right, guys. Laters.